gay, everybody gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus, and boy does she earn that moniker in this episode. Oh, she really, really does. This is like, I, I mean, I would title this episode Vander Jesus Rising, um, yes. if it were up to me. Yes, yes, we are talking about the 5A finale tonight, taking this one to the grave. Wow, there's a lot in this one. <laughs> there is. I mean, I actually think this is an excellent episode of, of PLL. Like, we were wondering if this one was going to hold up, and I th- I think it really does. I, I might be a little more mixed on it. I think it has, I think it has the finale thing of being, um having sections of sort of like confusing action or like too much exposition um by and large i think it is a really fun episode but i i definitely felt the the presence of marlene in certain moments (laughs) i was actually surprised when i looked up who wrote it i was surprised that this was a marlene episode because i felt like it was um i i felt like the heist vibes of it were very cool and i i wasn't uh I, I was surprised that she had kind of pulled that off. The The thing that I like about this episode, um, it's a fantastic showcase for Mona. It does yeah. have, it's kind of a romp. It does have like when they're breaking into Radley, it does seem like there's a heist going on. And it gives us a feel for what this world could have looked like if the liars had cooperated with Mona more often. Like remember the yeah. episode where the liar's entire plan was we're all going to get to the greenhouse before Emily gets glass in her hair. Like that was their whole <laughs> plan and nobody could keep it together. Not one of them could manage to like execute on that. And that was I like, do. that was like a very simple one note plan. That's <laughs> the level that the liars kind of operate at when they make their plans sometimes. But now that Mona is involved, like we have various designated teams carrying out disparate elements of the mission simultaneously, some more successfully than others, Emily. Um, And although it's like, it's just fun to watch. Like we have Emily's frantic Christmas decorating, Hannah being a secret genius, Spencer standing Toby up for his cop graduation due to being in the middle of committing a crime, Um, you know. (laughs) Good times. It's like it's not perfect. There's definitely, um, you know, there's definitely towards the end we get a lot of thrown together reveals that could have padded out some of the filler episodes earlier on, certainly. Um, but I think it might be the last really fun episode of Pretty Little Liars, like one that's such mm-hmm. a joy to watch that the viewer can just you can kind of let yourself be swept up in the camp and not ask too many questions. Yeah, no, I can I can definitely see that it is a really fun episode. I I think that there are like there are elements of this episode that really do feel like the end of an era. Like, I think this is probably the last episode where Caleb is enjoyable in any way (laughs) as a couple um, where and where Caleb actually comes across as like a supportive partner for Hannah in any way. Um, I think that like. Like the whole the whole business with get, getting uh, Emily's house decorated for Christmas, like that's such a funny sequence because it almost feels out of step with the show in that it's like 
they're having fun and they're like doing something joyful and they're like not all <laughs> scared and depressed. And so that feels like the kind of scene that becomes um, less and less common as the show sort of teeters toward the end. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely true. And I think that like as time goes on, the show has to like go into more and more contortions to try to explain itself and everything. For sure. And I I love that when they're working with Mona, they are able to just hand wave and say because she's Mona, and I'll give them anything. Like I'll I'll give them anything. <laughs> that they just want to wave and say, she's Mona, I'll be like, tracks, completely, agree. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, it is funny, like, Mona is so impressive, like, even, I even enjoyed Caleb more this episode, because they were interacting, you know? Like, she just, she does, she has these magic powers, she has chemistry with everybody, I mean, we will get into, I feel like we're gonna spend 45 minutes talking about Mona's mom and like what is the deal with Mona's mom because I find the construction of that character fascinating um in in this series uh and I mean we'll get into that soon but yeah it it is really true like if this had been if Mona had actually died which I remember being pretty convinced that she had um after this episode what a way to go out like this would have been this would have been a really um I mean, I would have been so sad to lose Mona, but I think it would have been a satisfying sort of conclusion for the character at this point in the series. And in some ways, I mean, there's way there's some ways in which I, knowing Mona's actual canon ending and then the awfulness of the perfectionist, like, I do think this probably would have been a more satisfying ending for her character because she does go out as the Vander Jesus. Wow, that's tough. I... I would prefer for Mona to stay alive just because I feel like as long as she's alive, there's an opportunity for something else. Um, but I, I agree this, like, I, I also think like her death did feel very believable at this point in the series. Uh, and yeah. I think it's really, uh, after this point, the deaths become kind of like, Every single one, it's like, are we sure? You know, like yeah. just, once they, um, you know, once once she turns out to be not dead, uh, it really it really turns the corner, and it gets to the point where, like, well, can we trust that anyone is dead? Like, I guess Noel, since he doesn't have a head anymore, but other than that, well, and I totally agree with that, and I also think that this this is the last death that would have really meant something. You know, I think that like both thematically and story wise, if the show had lost Mona, uh, that would have been huge, you know, and also for the 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 sort of ramifications for the other characters, it would have been huge. Um, Whereas I feel like as the show goes on, it's kind of like, well, we sort, you know, we have to kill Rollins off because that guy can't make it till the end. We've sort of painted ourselves into a corner with Noel, so, like, he kind of has to die. It's sort of just, like, almost, like, checking off boxes. Nobody likes Sarah Harvey, so let's kill her in a shower. Like, it is it is this kind of, like, rote, like, eh, this person has been a B-level suspect for a while. We don't really know what to do with them. Let's just have them die, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of meat on this Thanksgiving turkey, so should we, uh, <laughs> should we dive right in? 
Oh, I, I think uh, I think that we should. Uh, so it is still endless November uh, here on November 57th. Like it's been literally <laughs> 46 episodes uh, since it was Halloween and we've had at least two uh, one week laters. So, you know, here uh, it's still November. The title card reads Thanksgiving Day, which this year, as I said, falls on November 73rd. Um, we open... <laughs> On what is clearly a crime scene, cop cars all over, yellow crime scene tape strewn about, uh, police and forensics personnel milling about, uh, and some liars. A distraught-looking Hannah being comforted by Emily and Aria and Prezra standing around canoodling in full view of a ton of cops. Just a normal day in Rosewood. Barry Maple comes over to get their statements. He wants to take Hannah up to the porch, but she doesn't want to go up there again. She can't see it. Uh, she can't see it. It's already been too traumatic for her. Arya whispers to Prezra that there was so much blood. No way someone could live through that. Cell phones go off, and the message says, it's all your fault, A. Hannah is pale and breaking down. Oh, no! Oh, no. Yeah. Another thing about this episode, it's a pretty very heavy episode. Yes, we do see him quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always a better time when Barry Maple's around. We love our yeah, Barry. And, and no Tanner after Tanner was like skulking around everywhere last episode. Today, she just like overslept and missed the murder. <laughs> I love how we've just taken a hard turn into Holbrook is corrupt. Like, yeah. There, there was, other than obviously the flirting with Hannah, like he seemed to be relatively up and up in terms of the investigation. And now it's just like, nope, he's he's been corrupted. Well, there's a lot, like, <laughs> there's a lot that's happening in this episode that like, we're just going to have to like take on faith. Holbrook yeah. is corrupt now. Allison has been making tons of friends at school, despite us never seeing her make any friends at school. Like, a lot's been happening behind the scenes, apparently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, we do a classic PLL finale cut to 36 hours earlier. We are at the police station, and Allison is getting all hooked up to take a lie detector test. Um as the lie detector test administrator, I don't know what that person is called, but as that guy is like explaining how the test works, we see that Holbrook is watching through a window. Uh, he is, it's, it's suggested to him that he should wait for Tanner, but he does not seem so eager. We learn that uh, when somebody is telling the truth, they are using their memory. When they are telling lies, they are using their imagination. Uh, Allie stares daggers through the window in a way very reminiscent of that Spencer Wilden shot from uh, the Hannah's dad's wedding episode. Uh, and they get ready to start going through the control questions. Yeah, what a uh, what a mythological contraption this polygraph is. <laughs> it knows when you're using your imagination versus when you're using your memory. Like, what a bunch of nonsense also yeah it is just it is so funny the way that it's like allison is being framed as like ted bundy in this episode i mean the way that the way that everybody is reacting to her like it's 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 suddenly like again, talk about like hard hard turns into a new thing like that is very much the mode we're in at this point oh for sure and this was also like this was kind of during the heyday of like 
you know, in the books, Allison had a twin. And so does Allison have a twin? Is it her? Is it her twin? What's going on? So when Allison, like, says her name for the lie detector test, that feels like an important moment, even though it's really not. Also, for, like, fanfic purposes, her middle name is confirmed as Lauren, so. Yeah, Lauren, yeah. Allison Lauren De Laurentiis, <laughs> like, that is not a great name. But, there's uh, a lot of ends going on there. Yeah, there, well, there's a lot of Lauren, like, Lauren De Laurentiis. Like, Lauren <laughs> actually recurs twice, but, yeah. you know, it is what it is. <laughs> huh. Um, that's like if they had called, <laughs> they should have made her first name Allison. They should have made her first name like Diane or something, so that she could be like Di Lauren De Laurentiis. <laughs> like that's. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, so we're in an elegantly creepy green bedroom. <laughs> there are a bunch of dolls, uh, the kind that Aria is going to take pictures of later. Uh, there's an Eiffel Tower, like you might find in Allie's room, pillows that could be from Hannah's, a bed that is not unlike Emily's, and Mona, Vander Jesus in repose, relaxing, reading a book en français, just as Spencer might. Uh, this is the perfect, perfect room for Mona. Uh, her mom comes in, and she is also the perfect Mona mom. A little high-strung, a little nouveau riche. She clearly loves and is overmatched by Mona in equal measure. Uh, she announces that Mona has company. Who could it be? Downstairs, it's the four liars. Mona's dreams are coming true. Ah, oh, we get a bit of foreshadowing as she asks why the grim faces. Did somebody die? Uh, things get even better as the liars say they need her help. She asks, what did Allison do? They talk about Allie being at the police station and their uncertainty about what she might say. Um, they've been lying for her ever since she got back and now everything is up in the air. Mona certainly has a reaction when, Mo when Spencer says that a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth can put its pants on, um, especially when she and Spencer both attribute that quote to Churchill in unison. Um, I think Mona liked might like to go into more depth on pants being off or on, uh, but the liars draw focus to needing to know what story Allison is telling the police. Why, Mona asks, do they think that she can help them? The liars exchange looks before giving her the perfect answer. Because you're Mona. That she is! Oh, man. Oh, man. What a delight to, like, get this little window into Mona's home life. Um, I find it really great that, like, pretty consistently, I feel like with the liars' parents, particularly their mothers, there's a fair amount of similarity. You know, Ashley and Hannah are very similar. Veronica and Spencer are very similar. We've talked at length about the similarities between Ella and Aria. Um, Emily actually has a lot of Pam Fields in her. We see that definitely this episode. And Allie and Jessica are kind of a perfect match. But I, I like the idea that the writers were like, Mona. How do you do, how do you, how do you craft the perfect parent for Mona? And Leona, I believe is her name. Yes. Is just, seems like just the sweetest mom in the world. Like, it's, <laughs> it's great because it's like, you sort of, 
would expect her Mona to have some like weird supervillain mom or like some kind of Mary Drake like gothy spooky mom and I love that that's not her mom at all like her mom is just this very nice lady who loves her clearly and like seems kind of you know contentedly clueless about what Mona spends her her days and nights doing um I I love we don't they don't actually say this, but I get the sense that Leona is a single parent. Is that your feeling as well? Yeah, I, I think that she is. We definitely don't hear or see anything regarding Mona's dad, who I assume is probably like Dr. Evil or a James Bond villain of some type. Yeah, but I I kind of like, I like the idea of like these two women in this big house, Mona, super genius hacker, you know, Vander Jesus, and then like, sweet Leona downstairs baking cookies. Like, it's just, it's there's something so perfect about it. There really is. I, I feel like the thing that, uh, the thing that's happening here is that Leona is parenting uh, Hannah's Mona. You know, yeah. like, that's, that's the Mona, and that's the mask that Mona is like, and, and maybe that's even the real Mona. I think you could definitely make an argument for it. But, like, Leona is not, really equipped to parent like the super genius hyper adrenalized reality sometimes villain like loki-esque mischievous chaotic good versus neutral versus bad like she's not yeah. really like up for that but she's just she's doing what she can she is controlling the controllables she is baking cookies she's doing her best i feel i completely agree and i i like that there's they don't play it. It's not clearly it's not written or directed. And Janelle doesn't play it like, you know, every time Leona, do, you know, turns her back, Mona's like, ha ha ha, rubbing her hands together. Like this is Mona's relationship with her mom is is real. And there's absolutely love there. It's just that, you know, Mona is a very complex tapestry and Leona either can't or won't or hasn't been granted access to seeing uh the, the the depth and breadth of that tapestry. She's seeing a little a little section of it. Um, but I I also love that Leona clearly is so delighted that Mona has friends over. Like there's very much this energy that like, yes, I think Leona is parenting Hannah's Mona. I also think she's still parenting loser Mona in a lot of ways. Oh. And, and I think that she sees her daughter as this sort of, sweet lonely girl and the idea that like Mona has friends over is like so delightful to her oh I think that you're right that's a really good observation that she is kind of parenting like a lonely Mona and Mona I think is lonely a lot of the time um so she's not you know she's not like totally on the wrong track with that um but I think you're right too because like at the end of this episode, she's going to talk about how Leslie is coming for Thanksgiving. She's like setting up a play date between Mona and Leslie Stone. Uh, and just, she's, she's so, um, she's so delighted by Hannah's presence. Like you can tell that Hannah is like a friend of Mona's that Leona was really fond of, but who hasn't been around for a while. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, I I definitely think that Leona ships Van der Maren. Well, and she's so eager for the liars to stay. Like she, yeah. you know, we get the sense that like Mona having people over 
is not i mean you see sort of mona's eagerness that that mona is now more reserved about but like that same eagerness where she was you know chasing allison and aria down the street in the pilot like that's basically what leona is sort of uh showing by like running in there with the cookies in a sense you know well, yeah, and, you know, we've also, um, with the liars, like, we've seen their parents interact with each other. We've seen Jessica interact with Ashley and with Veronica, and we've, you know, there are always these these moments where it's like, oh, you know, Veronica is on the phone with Pam and is just hanging up, and so it's yeah. like all of the liars' parents have a level of interaction with each other, and we've never even seen Mona's mom before, so it right. seems like it's possible that Mona's mom herself is a little bit cut off from, like, the circles of power in the small town of Rosewood. And is lonely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so back at the uh, lie detector test, the magical lie detector test, uh, Allison is being asked about that night. She asks who else or she's asked who else was in the barn that night. She names all of the liars except for Spencer. And then the, the guy administering the test asks when was the last time she saw Spencer Hastings that night. Yeah, and Allison looks straight ahead, and we don't hear her answer. But the the point is that, like, this is the case the police are interested in solving is Spencer Hastings having murdered Bethany Young. Right. That's very clear. Yeah. Uh, back at Mona's, Mona is saying how Allison stole her life from her when she crowned Mona as Rosewood's biggest loser. Uh, she was so convincing, Mona even started to believe her. Hannah asks if that means she'll help them. Mona says she knows she owes them for everything she put them through, but she's already number one on Allison's hit list. If she finds out that Mona is siding with the liars, she's afraid to think how far Allison would go to stop her. Mona asks, or I'm sorry, Spencer asks if Mona is really that scared of her. Mona replies, aren't you? Isn't that why you're all, why you're all here? Uh, just then the girl talk is interrupted by Leona bearing a tray full of warm cookies and a special question for Hannah if chocolate chip is still her favorite. Oh, this is a mom, as I said, who ships Vandermeeren. Uh, the liars say that they all have to go. And then Mona's mom says she'll pack the cookies up for them to take home. Uh, Mona apologizes for taking uh, all of her alley anger out on the liars. But she does not like she does not overtly agree to help them yet. Uh, the main body of the liars kind of peels off, but Hannah hangs back because she wants the cookies. <laughs> oh, Hannah. Um, I think it's so, like, Mona is so good at playing people to her will. And the whole idea that, like, when Allison first came back, the the two armies, it was the Mona army and the Allison army, you know, they were they were the opposing forces and that now it's this thing of like the opposing forces are Allison and the liars. And Mona is like, well, I really think I should just remain Switzerland. You know, I don't want any heat on me when it's like, of course, Allison would assume that Mona was on the opposite side as her. Like they've been feuding since the start. But I love the way that Mona sort of positions it like that to make it be this thing where the liars basically have to beg her to join their team. It's brilliant. Mona. 
Mona. She's so, she's so smart. She's so smart. Um, so the other liars are over at the door. Uh, they are asking Spencer about the Melissa video. Uh, Spencer says that the video getting out helps no one. And any way they slice it, it is going to look like she is an accessory to murder. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side of the living room, Hannah is getting at her cookies while Mona is staring at her longingly. They'll see each other later at school. Um, there's sort of this just very sweet moment between Leona and Hannah where we really get the sense of this great deal of warmth that these two people feel for one another. You can tell that Hannah kind of adores Leona and you can tell that Leona really adores Hannah right back, which I love. I love that. Um, Especially since because of like the way that the liars always have to be like kind of on even footing friendship wise with each other. There's not a ton. I mean, I guess there's like the Emily and Ashley thing, but there's not a ton of like, like specially highlighted relationships between like a mom and a different liar, if that makes sense. Cause like everybody has to be equal friends. So I love that we get the hint of like this particular closeness between Leona and Hannah. It's really sweet. Um, and Leona asks Hannah about Mona and Allison and if things are starting up again, Hannah confirms to Mona's mom that Mona is indeed afraid of Allie. Mona overhears this. Yeah, I love this. I think this is actually a big moment of Hannah trusting an adult to, like, let them in a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, that's a good point, for sure. (sighs) Um, So Mona, like, listens on the stairs, and then she runs up and makes a phone call uh, requesting that a message be sent. Code A. She's planning something major. I like how, um, you know, A is almost always, well, except when we're doing the whole, like, he, she, it, bitch terribleness. But, like, A is almost always referred to until, like, with female pronouns a lot of the time. And I like, but I like that that could double as, like, you know, like, if Hannah was A or something. Because it's, like, it's, like, has Hannah just triggered something by saying this to, uh, to Leona? (laughs) Um, so a bespectacled extra unlocks the brew for Mona, but gasp, her army isn't here. Where is everyone? Lucas is the only minion left. And he says that everyone believes Allison is a saint and Mona is crazy Mona. Um, this swing seems really fast. Uh, the last <laughs> time we saw Allison interact with anyone other than the liars at school was when the whole cafeteria was cutting her dead after she slapped Mona. Um, Seriously, a single scene of Allison trying to win non-liars over since that happened is not something the show decided to bother with. Also, (laughs) Allison hasn't even been in town. This is like, this is very much a Noel is rich, Noel is not rich, Cece is a magic billionaire from the stock market kind of a plot point. Anyway, (laughs) back to the scene at hand. Mona looks in a mirror and asks if Lucas thinks someone can be crazy and not know it. He says if she starts believing that, Allie wins. Mona is like, not me, her. She thinks Allison has gone, bad mental health language alert, full socio. Yeah. Yeah, there yes. The the use of the word sociopath is like 
suddenly that is that is the the moniker we have decided on this episode. It's a little bit like New York, New York, New York. It's like sociopath, sociopath, sociopath. Yes, uh, blue snarf, sociopath, <laughs> New York. Yes, that's that's like when you pull the string. That's what the doll says about this part of the season. Where's the beef? Um, <laughs> So that is just going to continue uh, into the next scene at school. The liars plus Mona are in the bathroom. I feel like you know that Mona has been waiting for like the moment that she's called to a liars bathroom summit. It's like she all the times that she's been the one listening in on the conversation and now she's part of the circle like this is the dream. Um, So Mona tells them that Allie agreed to the polygraph. How do does she know? She's Mona. And why would Allison put herself in harm's way? Either she believes she didn't do anything bad or she's playing a game. Mona suggests that Allison is not having fun anymore because she can't play with her dolls. She stole the game, Mona suggests. And Aria, as always, is the person who's like, this thing that we all decided three episodes ago, that's what you think is what ha- what's happening? Um... Uh, Allison, Mona suggests, assembled the perfect group. Smart for Spencer, loyal for Emily, admiring for Hannah, and Aria. No, (laughs) compassion for Aria. Um, They go full in on Allie's a sociopath, which seems, you know, perhaps a bit extreme. But the suggestion is that she she loved playing with all of them because she could never get bored, which I feel like goes to the theory that you talk about sometimes that Allison was a little bit in love with all of the liars. Um, Aria has to take this moment to make it about herself, saying that she always wondered why she was picked. And Mona suggests that Aria is fun to mess with because when you don't feel anything, it's so fun to play with somebody who feels so much, which I feel like is kind of a backhanded compliment. But Aria, I don't know, she seems she seems to interpret it okay. Uh, so they basically declare that Allison is A. Hannah whispers that she never loved her. Aria chooses to co-opt that as well, saying she never loved any of us. Um, I think part of my, like, hesitation to, like, love this episode is that when the show goes super black and white like this, I'm never as invested as when they let the characters exist in shades of gray. Um, And the liar is wholeheartedly being like, Allison is the devil. She is a sociopath. We are simply, we have been her minions and her puppets this entire time. Our entire friendship has been an orchestration. Like, it's just, it's a level of like extremist thinking that I have a really hard time relating to. Um, and doesn't, to me, feel in keeping with characters who like have spent a lot of this series kind of grappling with the nuances and shades of gray in Allison. Um, but I get that, like, they're, they feel like they've reached the last straw with her. And also that the story dictates that they, like, feel this strongly about her in this moment. Yeah, that, I mean, I think that that's true. But I also think that, like, after living in this, after living in this universe for so long, like, I feel like it would definitely be really, really alluring to believe that it's this simple that Allison is bad because she has like no capacity for empathy or remorse and thus has been putting them through this from the start. Like 
that is like that could make the world make sense for the liars in a mm. way that it's almost never going to make sense again once everything kind of reaches its final culmination. I can see that. I can definitely see that. Um, also, I've been li- listening to a lot of Olivia Rodrigo the last two weeks. And so every time they're talking about sociopath, I'm just have I feel like it's like Emily is singing that song about <laughs> Alice being like a damn sociopath. Um, so anyway, uh, Spencer suggests that Allie is basically selling them out to the cops, uh, making them seem guilty of everything. Uh, Mona says that she will find out what Allison said to the cops so, she, so they can start to get their story straight. Why is Mona helping them? Mona says that she still has to survive senior year. She can't do it all alone, even if she has gotten into all these impressive colleges. Uh, Mona doesn't want to hold Emily's hand in the hallways. Yes, she'd only like to hold Hannah's hand in the hallways. Um, but, you know, they, they bas- she basically doesn't want that it advertised that, that they're working together. I also like how Emily is like, very quick to be like we are not friends Mona like don't don't mistake this like we are not friends Uh, Mona tells them to act normal they can't even tell their bed buddies what they're up to which you know Mona loves being in on a secret with the liars that they can't tell their bed buddies Uh, just then Cindy and Mindy walk in in unison Mona greets them and um, then they, like, do a weird, like, poking their little heads out of the stalls as the liars leave. Um, another thing that I also love about Mona basically um, expositioning this new Allison theory is, like, who is the person who knows how much fun it is to play with the liars? Who is the person who knows how to treat the liars like their dolls and make them dance like their little puppets? It's Mona. Like, Mona is basically describing her own process and, like, extrapolating it onto Allison. It's it's great. Yeah, it's, it's next level. But also, it, you can kind of tell, uh, you know, Spencer is really, like, strung out during this episode with the thought of, like, the cops are going to be kind of springing on her for Bethany. So Spencer is not in leader mode as much as she normally would be. And I think True. that there's just, like... There's just like a sit back and be passengers element uh, here where like when Allison was in charge, the liars could just like, okay, Allison tells us what to do and then we do it. Like, I I think that they have a certain amount of comfort, even though it's Mona, just having somebody who's a really strong planner and a really strong personality kind of guiding the ship. And Mona totally knows that. I mean, I I think she's sort of intentionally flooding them and overwhelming them a little bit because it's, you know, she knows that she'll kind of get the reins that way. Yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. Uh, So elsewhere, Emily is at her locker and she drops a book. This is, of course, the lesbian bat signal for Paige to appear at her side and assist her. Um, do you think that Emily just like goes around dropping her books like throughout the day, just in the hopes that Paige is gonna like appear like a chivalrous knight to help her every time? Because it's I... happened so many times. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like they ran out of ways to start scenes between the two of them. So they were like, <laughs> well, we'll have her drop a book. <laughs> well, or does Emily have some 
like early onset arthritis in her hands, like due to some kind of repetitive swimming injury. Like she's just, she can't hold on to them. So they're constantly <laughs> falling to the floor and then Paige is swooping in. Uh, well, Could be. <laughs> so um, they have a small conversation about Paige's date and how the two of them, Emily and Paige, never got to have their talk. Um, this concludes with Paige saying she's tired of talking and just kissing Emily instead. Boy, Paige is lucky she survives season five because this is a total redux of Tara and Willow getting back together on Buffy. And we all know how that ended, which actually I wonder if that's like deliberate because in the Entropy episode, Tara shows up and makes this big speech about everything they need to do to fix their relationship and then asks if they can just skip it and for Willow to kiss her. And that's like how they get back together. And then like Tara dies in the next episode. Um, here, Paige is leaving town in the next episode. So we're now entering like the golden two episode period where the queer women get to be happy before the writers know it's going to be taken <laughs> away. Um, also from a character perspective, it's very interesting to see Paige as more willing to take a risk and to re-engage with Emily when she knows she's going to be leaving soon and Emily's ability to jerk her around is more limited. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, I One of my notes in this scene is that the show acting like Emily's only problem in the Paley relationship was that she was hung up on Allison is my villain origin story. Like, <laughs> I just, this scene drives me nuts because it's, first of all, like, they have so much that they need to talk about. And they're just like, we shall not talk. We shall chastely and passionlessly kiss in the middle of this hallway um, as we prepare for Christmas time. And it's also just, uh, I don't know, like, it's, it's. It feels really placating to me. It feels like they're just like, oh, we'll throw the Paley shippers a little, a little Thanksgiving kiss. Um, when it, like the show is not doing any work on this relationship. Paige is about to leave. Like Paige has actually had a really interesting arc this half season. And I feel like, um, I just feel like it's, it's frustrating to me that like Emily's interesting arc with Allison and her feelings for that and Paige's sort of interesting arc involving Allison and Mona and all of that, like pretty two pretty compelling character arcs just sort of like get flattened for like this queer smoochie that feels really um, like, I don't know. It just feels really half-baked to me. Well, also like the difference between Paige and Emily being together or not together is that they just like say a couple of words and then have a passionless smooch. Whereas when the other couples, when the het couples break up and then make up, it's like spinning cameras, having sex on the stove. Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's like a whole thing. Um, so it's really like, it's really kind of a sign for the degayification that is, that is coming up around the corner that this is now the weight that they assign to whether Paige and Emily are together or apart. This is, I think, their only... Yeah, this is their only kiss in the whole episode. Oh, yeah. I think it's their only physical... No, there's physical contact between them at the end. But yes, it's definitely their only kiss. Also, like, I know that we mocked all of the terrible hail of post-Ravenswood dialogue. But, like, that was an episode that was, like, largely devoted to 
trying to sell us on these characters getting back together and having conversations about it and talking about how they loved each other and they needed to trust each other and da 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 da. And this is what Paige and Emily get. Also, remember how we talked last episode about why was Arya the one who witnessed Paige on her date and like was that going to come up and all of that? Nope. Nope. It's like the Shauna texts. Like, nope. It, it it exists in like the parallel show where like every like the queerness is like actually given its its due time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. Um so meanwhile at school still, uh Leona is leaving Hackett's office and then running into her daughter and they have this kind of awkwardness where you can tell that Mona is very much not used to seeing her mom here at the school. Uh, and Leona is clear, like, what I love is, like, that Leona is, like, not a very good liar, um, because that's just so sort of sweet that, like, Mona's mom would not be a good liar, as she says that she was just bringing some bags that Mona forgot for the food drive. It's really a fascinating vibe between these two. Um, as Leona walks off, Mona continues down the hallway and sees Allie smirking at her as she charms a group of nameless friends that she's par- apparently won over. Uh, just as she is called to Hackett's office. Yeah, which is like these are the these are the friends that are like so high powered apparently um, that nothing can stand against them. These nameless extras. The social hierarchy at Rosewood High has gotten increasingly muddled this season. I feel. I agree with that, and I also feel like uh, one thing that they never deal with is that Allie is now a year behind the liars. Like, I mean, I know it's been a really long time since I've been in high school, but generally, like, if you were, like, a junior, you had, like, more sway than if you were a sophomore or a freshman, etc. Like, but no, like, Allison is just, like, yeah, you know. That's just how it's going. Maybe, like, when she was hanging out in the basement with Cyrus Petrillo, she was, like, really keeping up on her studies and, like, you know, Uh... doing that pre-calc and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, um, boy, now we are in the dreary heteronormative part of the show here. Um, Starting it off, we have Arya and Prezra making pumpkin pie. Um, First of all, Prezra is acting like he is the king of all pie makers, despite the fact that he is using pumpkins that are not the correct size for this project, which he would know if he actually had any experience making pies. Uh, He and Arya have some gross, flirty back and forth about the horrendous fact that the Montgomery family has invited him for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, yeah, it's... It's like the show is is just going to treat him like he's her normal age-appropriate boyfriend. And they're just, you know, a couple of no-name slobs making Thanksgiving pie together. And it's it's just so weird. Like, it's just, we've, it, and I mean, this will, the, the culmination of all of this is the scene in the next episode when he's in his underwear on the stairs, of course. Ugh. All right, so we go from that dreadful Presria interaction to Spencer just paging through an Allison photo album, including a picture of Allison and all of the liars uh, that she signed with a note about them being her best friends. <sighs> then we hear a sound from the the doorway, and 
Toby is here in his cop uniform, ready for some role play. And it is absolutely disgusting while Spencer talks about being a good girl who just has trouble with authority. Now, this is like, I feel like this is like a level of like sexual innuendo and conversation that we don't often get on this show. Like, and it's just, you know, we've been talking about the degayification and it's like, we have that little, that little chaste paley kiss in the hallway. And then we have this business. We have Spencer and Toby's cop role play. Uh, they kiss very passionately. It is disgusting. And then Toby breaks character to flash Spencer a big goofy smile and tell her about the ceremony for his cop school graduation that she will surely be at. She hands him a gift, which is a pocket watch with a you are once a, you are my once upon a time S engraving on it. Uh, she tells him that she loves him. He looks like he's about to burst into tears compulsory heterosexuality is alive and well at the house of Hastings. This is so gross. Um, <laughs> and I actually think it's super disturbing yes. because it truly is an insight into Toby's character. Like he really does want this level of control over Spencer. And he really does want to see the rest of the world as flawed and inferior to himself it does turn him on to feel like he is the most moral and has the most authority uh and that is exactly why he should not have a badge and a gun yeah and it's also considering all of the very inappropriate interactions that the liars have had with actual police officers it's like very creepy to see it all being kind of like toyed with and sexualized here in this weird way. And like even for Spencer, like I don't feel like Spencer would joke about having trouble with authority like that. I don't know. It's just it's weird. It's like a very weird thing to put in this episode. It is. It is. And if what you want is this particular role play. Go get some, like, costumes from Halloween USA. Like, don't go to cop school and decide you're going to become an actual police. Oh, my goodness. Maybe Toby was just like, look, I know Spencer. She's extremely thorough. She needs all of the, you know, the T's crossed and the I's dotted. She will only do cop role play with me if I am an actual cop. Well, listen, we never saw Toby go to cop school. We just heard about that off screen. So we don't know that he didn't just go to Halloween USA, get this costume and start showing up to the Rosewood Police Department. I mean, do we think that they would notice if he wasn't a real cop? That's oh, no. Question. I don't think they'd notice at all. <laughs> uh, so speaking of the cops, Lucas is lurking around outside the door of Barry Maple's office at the Rosewood Police Department. He wants to know if this is where he applies to be a high school liaison. God, why not be asked if you can be hired as a whole ass cop? If they'll take Toby, they'll probably take you. Uh, but Barry leaves the room to get him the paper application. The paper application, of course, it's a paper application. Of course, you're probably going to have to sign like a big leather bound book that says you visited the police station and you took this paper application home with you. Uh, but this allows Lucas time to put a Bluetooth device into Barry's hard drive 
In a nearby restroom, Mona clones the contents of Barry's computer and looks pleased with herself. Yeah, I feel like Lucas should probably be on some type of list that's like, if you see this kid lurking around the police station, like, don't let him. Um, but also, I love how Mona is just in a bathroom stall. Like, we don't ask why, how she got in the stall. Like, she's just there. And I love that she's, like, not wearing, like, a hoodie or a disguise. Like, she's just in her, like, Mona clothes. Um, also, how great would it have been if she guessed the password for Barry's computer and it was Pam's birthday. Oh, that would have been wonderful. It would have been like an Easter egg for like literally just the two of us, but we would have loved it. You and I, the captains of the, of the Pam (laughs) Barry ship. It's a lonely ship, but a passionate one. (laughs) That's true. Oh, suddenly it is Christmas. Uh, Like seriously Christmas, like, There's Christmas music playing. Emily's house is just decked out to the nines with like big inflatable things on the lawn and like big snowmen and big uh, pingy and wingy who are these like little penguins and like a manger. And Emily is wearing a shirt that says that uh, this girl loves Christmas. We are decorating and it is intense. Um, Emily is, like, aggressively handing out eggnog to Hannah. Uh, Paige, who is just a simp, I guess, is just, like, up on the roof, you know, putting up the putting up her decorations. Um, Paige also might be the perfect match for Emily because she seems vaguely into this. So maybe maybe they're great together. Um, I do. I think maybe the last time I will ever enjoy Caleb on this show is the scene of them hilariously bickering while trying to plug the lights in. And there's, like, this energy that, like, they are the parents that have gotten woken up too early on Christmas morning by their overly enthusiastic daughter, Emily, who's just, like, running around this yard declaring how much she loves Christmas. Um, Jesus has ended up on the porch. Uh, Mona calls Hannah, and Hannah lies, saying that it is her mom. Uh, Caleb approaches Emily to talk about why she loves Christmas. She says that her dad always finds a way to come back home. Uh, Now he gets it. Hannah spins an elaborate cranberry-related lie that quickly gets out of hand. Uh, Paige calls Emily away for more decorating, and Caleb says that he knows when Hannah is lying. To me, this scene is fun, but also feels like it's from a different show. Yeah, I think that you're, uh, I, I think that you're definitely right there. Um, it's, but this is like kind of goes with the lighthearted feel of this episode. For sure. And the, the like sole reason that this scene exists is that there can be the manger so that the, yeah. you know, so that we get that, uh, you know, that big payoff later on. For sure. And it's, I mean, I got to hand it to them. Like, it's a lot of setup for like a, five second little joke at the end so oh yeah yeah it definitely it definitely is well I also feel like this is um previously I was talking about like Emily and Paige as like a Tara and Willow uh kind of thing and here I'm gonna go even further back in the vault and talk about South of Nowhere uh because there's a scene where like Spencer uh, there's a queer Spencer on that show Mm. uh where Spencer and Ashley girlfriends have just like they've like dramatically kind of like run away together and then they're in a hotel room and the scene of them in the hotel room is like 
one of them is brushing the other's hair and it's just like oh yes well of course after you've jumped through all these hoops of fire to get away with your girlfriend <laughs> naturally what are you going to do to celebrate this union but sit together in a hotel room and brush your hair so like now here's the big thing Paige and Emily back together at long last they're you know they're oh, this heart's desire contented and what are they going to spend this time doing pushing eggnog on Hannah and Caleb and decorating for Christmas I'm not entirely certain that Emily didn't just take Paige back so she'd have an extra hand to help her set up. <laughs> right. I mean, what says romance? Like asking who has the baby Jesus? It's so weird. Also, they could not be physically further apart from each other <laughs> in the scene if they tried. Paige is on the roof the whole time and Emily is down in the yard. They're literally shouting to each other in this scene. Well, and also when Emily decides to go up on the roof, Paige, it's because Paige says she needs help hanging, like, a pine garland. Like, you couldn't even give Paige some freaking mistletoe to hold up there? You couldn't even? (laughs) I know. Or, like, let her do something kind of butch, like, and have, like, Emily be turned on by it? No. No. No, they are doing the actual least amount of work possible. Yes. They're like, how can we make this scenario literally as unsexy as possible? Here it is. How can you hold up a baby Jesus? Also, it's not even clear that there's room for another person up where Paige is. She's like balancing like between the roof and a balcony. She's doing like the second story decoration because of course the ground level is not enough. Oh my god. It's it's so funny. Like it's just yeah, there's just so, and, and it's it's just like hard cut from like, you know, Mona blue snarfing in the in the bathroom. Like it's very, you know, like heist vibes. And then suddenly it's like it's Christmas. Like we've like entered like a department store Christmas floor. Well, well also, um, I guess this is what happens when you get Mona involved in the plan. Everybody else can just relax, chill yeah. out, untangle some Christmas lights. Yeah. yeah, how did how did uh, Emily swing uh, Caleb and Hannah in on this plan? I mean, I don't know, but like now, now Mona is doing all the work on this group project, and these jokers are just like <laughs> <laughs> these jokers are just out here decking the halls, celebrating for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, and Lucas, Lucas is doing more work on this liar plan than any of the liars. Yes, yes, that is so true. Uh, Also, shout out to Emily's wifely recall uh, that busts Hannah on the cranberry lie. Like, Emily in two seconds, like, knows what kind of cranberries uh, Hannah's grandma uses for her special, uh, her special Thanksgiving salad. Paige, I'm sorry to break it to you. Emily is never going to learn about your grandma's special cranberry salad. That is so true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the liars and Mona are all assembled and they are watching the video of Allie taking the polygraph. Um, this is similar. This is similar to how we watched the Melissa video a bunch of times. Uh, now we get to watch Allie take the polygraph again. Uh, but the questions are all related to the murder of Bethany Young. They hear her pointing the finger decidedly at Spencer. Um, and it's very clear Uh, that the track the police are on is clearly still the Spencer as an addict equals guilty. Um, Who could have any more questions? Was Spencer desperate? 
What was she willing to do in exchange for Allison's silence? Allison concludes her interview by asserting that she herself had nothing to do with the murder of Bethany Young. Once again, this is such nonsense. We've had weeks of the police thinking Allison is a lying liar. Why would they now switch gears and decide she is the most reliable source to make a case against Spencer? Oi! Plus, we had Cyrus, who was like caught lurking outside the Marin home, who was marched into the police station and confessed, and the police were like, well, don't know, have nothing to hold him on, bye! And now, with like literally no physical evidence against Spencer whatsoever, just a bunch of people saying, oh yeah, she took a bunch of pills, the police were like, case closed, we can arrest her. Um, Spencer, nonetheless, understands more about how the police department works than I do, and so she is nonetheless very upset. Is correct me if I'm wrong, isn't the working theory that they get to that basically Holbrook has been steering the investigation towards Spencer because he's like in bed with Allison? Yes. Okay. So presumably maybe this is like Holbrook's doing that suddenly they're so convinced it's Spencer. Okay, well, listen, this is like what I said last week about we're getting to the point where the show doesn't know what the mystery is for sure because like before it was like do the police believe that allison was kidnapped if so who kidnapped her what happened who knows also who killed shauna what happened there new york new york new york plus who killed bethany young who was bethany young like da 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 so all these balls have been in the air now it seems like the police have decided the one that they're going to care about right now is bethany young making sure that Spencer did it, et cetera. Um, so that's what they're caring about. But that is actually only going to last for the length of like, I think this episode, because then as soon as this episode is over, they're going to have the, oh, who murdered Mona? And which of you can we put on the hook for that? So it's like, this is yeah. this is the last kind of pinball mystery portion. And then once this episode is over, then like the thing that the police are gonna be caring about is what happened to Mona. Which is so reminiscent of the post-jump, where it's like we have Charlotte's murder and then weirdly pivot into, like, Sarah's murder and Rollins' murder. And it's like, sure, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Holbrook, he is over at Allison's house. Uh, they have some cryptic conversation about Allison's interest in the piano, how she played when she was younger. Holbrook says that he shouldn't be here without Tanner. But he is because, like, that's, I mean, if a man doesn't start a conversation off by saying he shouldn't be there, is he even hitting on an underage girl in Rosewood, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, she sits down and he sits down and we cut to outside. We don't hear what their conversation is about. Yeah, but it's clear that he's sitting way too close to her for, like, a, a professional visit. Right. And they're very much sudden, like... Holbrook is being framed and filmed and like directed in a new way I feel like in this episode like there's very much a vibe of like he's not to be trusted well and as we were talking as we were talking about um you know things that are just all of a sudden this episode Holbrook is really corrupt all of a sudden Allison has an army like these are things we just have to take on faith because the show is telling us to them um Holbrook I don't know that we have even seen him since the night of his wild Googling of Prezra Fitz. <laughs> um, 
And then, like, he meets Allison at the police station, and that's their interaction. I definitely don't think that we have seen Holbrook interact with Allison since that time, have we? Oh, gosh. If if he has interacted with her, I don't think it hasn't been solo. Like it's been like with other liars present or something. I mean, I feel it's just been Tanner who's been like maybe so showing up and and doing the Columbo routine. But yeah, in this episode, it's Holbrook and he's shady as fuck. Yeah, because of course. Yeah. Uh, So the liars are processing the info about the police investigation And then Caleb comes in with a surprise assist to Mona's plan. Um, He compliments her hacking software and asks if it's military, which Mona charmingly declines to specify. Um, They have unlocked an affidavit that Holbrook sent the DA, which indicates Allie is no longer a person of interest in Bethany's death and affirming their theory that Spencer Hastings killed Bethany in order to curry favor with Allison. This doesn't seem to make any sense since Allison is denying even knowing Bethany Young, but okay, go on, Holbrook. Um, Spencer wants to call Toby and her parents immediately as she's certain an arrest warrant might be the next move. But the others suggest that they wait. This affidavit was written the day after the cops got Bethany's files from Radley, so they suggest it must be a Bethany Alley connection uh, that, that is in these these pieces of information uh and doesn't spencer want to find it uh we get a moment of all the liars banding together with mona and caleb slightly outside and then spencer agrees they'll go back to radley together and she's looking right at mona including her in the group as she says it yeah so we're firmly back in the land of like gooey mushy caleb because hannah's like who could lie to that face like they're very that that whole situation has has definitely mended, um, or at least that's what the show is communicating to us. Um, I so Mona and Spencer are the two people who have been Radley patients. Why are they the two people who are going back into Radley in disguise as nurses? Other than the fact that like they're the smartest. I mean, I think that that's it, and I, I think that. I think that probably Mona has to go because Mona actually knows how to accomplish this mission. And I feel like Spencer is not going to let Mona go in there by herself because they don't really trust Mona to that level. Yeah, I guess so. It's just so funny that it's like literally the two who have been patients here are like the the two, the two who would like be most likely to be recognized by a staff member. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It is really funny. Um, So we cut to the plan. Mona and Spencer are dressed as like 1940s nurses. Mona even has like a little purse around her around her wrist. Uh, While Caleb and Hannah uh, sit in the car as like team hack. Uh, Caleb's doing hacking. Hannah has an ear set. Uh, Hannah also seems a little fidgety and nervous here. Um, Spencer gets a message from Toby about the ceremony um mona says you know they're going to try to do this fast and basically advocates for spencer to lie considering that they are breaking some laws here yes what a (laughs) what a situation but of course hannah's nervous she's like working a plan with her you know her like 
open boyfriend and her secret girlfriend. It's stressful. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, Meanwhile, (laughs) Emily (laughs) is on the phone with Paige, canceling plans because of being mildly sick, um, apparently having overdosed on eggnog. Uh, (laughs) It sounds like Paige might be, you know, somewhat concerned, but Emily acts like it's no big deal. Uh, Then we see Allison appear in the doorway to Emily's bedroom. Uh, Her opening line is that she didn't mean to scare her. While Emily claims she wasn't scared, Allie says she saw the hair on the back of her neck stand up. They go back and forth, Emily saying she hates having them not speaking on Thanksgiving Day of all (laughs) days. Their back and forth is interrupted by Emily having to respond to a text asking where A is. Uh, This is a text from Hannah by typing, with me, I hate this. Um, There's a moment when Allison is walking away and Emily calls her back, sounding like she wants to fix things. And we see Allison's expression change to triumph uh, for just a nanosecond before she turns around with tears in her eyes. She's, you know, kind of fainting. Emily's fencing. Uh, it's impossible to tell how much of anything they're saying is the truth or a lie. And I'm, I like this scene. This is some really nice Emerson complex. Yeah, I agree. Um, I love Emily texting. I hate this. Like that feels so Emily. Like, of course she hates this. Um, also, they're continuing with the like framing Allison like she's like a serial killer or something like she's just going to go, you know, go wild on Emily here and not in the fun way. Um, but I love that look from um, from the the like kind of triumphant look to like the look of tears uh, on Allison's face. I also love how Emily repeatedly whispers to herself in these alley scenes like the loyal one. I'm the loyal one. And it's like. <laughs> Allison wasn't there for that bathroom conversation, Emily. She doesn't know what you're referring to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, um, I think it's, I think it's super funny that this whole episode is, uh, like you said, they're, they're turning Allison into like, you know, Ted Bundy or something. And uh, so the, the whole framework is like, Allison is a sociopath. Allison's capable of anything. Who knows how far Allison might go? But then they're like, oh, but she still likes Emily. She doesn't hurt <laughs> Emily at all. We should just have them. We should have Emily create a distraction. I know. And like have Allison come to her bedroom when like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think they just felt like, well, if we want Allison out of the way for a little while, have her go to Emily's bedroom. We'll see what happens. I wonder if Emily was like, you guys, this is so important to me. I will do whatever it takes. And they're like, Emily, like, it's like, we don't want you to make yourself uncomfortable. She's like, no, 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 no. It's, 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 I will do whatever it takes to keep her occupied in my bedroom for a long period of time. You know, just for the sake of the group. Um. Aria is meanwhile observing her art class in the dimly lit creepy ass art room, uh, nodding over to nurses Mona and Spencer. Uh, Aria holds up another nurse by spilling some paint and then loudly yammering on about her desire to be a dancer. Oh, Aria, I feel like as always her part of the caper is like the least well thought out and the most reliant on improv. 
Um, but Nurse Mona and Spencer are able to uh, go over to where the, the other nurse was and, and get in to what they need to get into. First of all, that's so Arya that her whole thing is to like spill some paint and then act like she can't possibly clean it up on her own, which is valid because we're going to see her trying to clean up this paint and using like no cleaner, but just having paper towels that she's like slopping the paint further over the floor. But I can't believe they are letting her volunteer still. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, I had, I had assumed that she was not allowed back here anymore, but apparently she is. (laughs) But I also feel that the chatter, the improvisational chatter that she does with this nurse, which includes things about like her level of klutziness, her middle name, how she wanted to be a dancer, how she's too short, how like the the level that Arya is coming in at here is like Jenna's hat party level of frantic. Yeah, well, also, I feel like... um... It's this nurse is in a similar boat as the woman who sends Hannah the drink at the lesbian bar because she doesn't say anything. Like, so she just like comes over, like hands over the paper towels. Or maybe she does. Does she say something? I don't know that she does. I don't know that she does. I think Arya just starts like talking at her, which is hilarious. I love when Arya has to do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so this is all happening and it's all a diversion so that Spencer and Mona can steal the master keys. Yes. Um, outside in the car, Hannah and Caleb see another car pull up to the building. Holbrook gets out and the two of them panic, uh, which includes like frantically trying to hide, Caleb pulling the passenger side visor down, having some papers fall on him. Uh, Holbrook enters the building and Hannah calls a code red light, like the cherry on top of a cop car. Mona does not want to withdraw. They are in the main records area. I love Hannah in this role. It's very Hannah as the switchboard operator. Uh, her her like doing the, the codes and all of that. It's really fun. Um, so back in the art room, while Arya is still trying to clean up this paint spill, Holbrook suddenly towers over her saying that she's made quite a mess of things. Uh, she seems very suspicious of him, and he asks when it all started. The lies, the cover-ups, the murders? But this is all in Arya's head. In fact, he's actually asking when her volunteer program started. She says a few weeks ago, LOL, time means nothing. Uh, he asks if Arya has an interest in the mental health profession, which just makes me laugh that Arya... like. I cannot picture Arya taking enough of an interest in anybody else to be like, I need to get a job in the mental health profession. Um, And then there seems to be a, you know, he's connecting this to Bethany, whether this was related to, um, to, to Bethany young. Uh, She asks if she should call her parents. He says, not yet. Then he tries to do his own Columbo move a little less smoothly than Tanner asking if her working here was Spencer's idea. She firmly tells him no. Oh, man, Aria. Uh, Elsewhere, Hannah is leaving a voicemail for Emily to see if Allison is still with her because Holbrook is at Radley and Hannah is in a panic. Uh, But just because they're on a stakeout mission and things are in the process of going sideways, that is no reason for Caleb to not immediately confront Hannah about the pages that fell down from the visor. 
What is it? It's a list of colleges. But, he says, these are all colleges that normally brainiacs go to. You know, there are ways to start a conversation about what a person is looking for in their future, what interests them about these schools. But starting from a point of acting like Hannah isn't smart enough to be interested in them, that is a choice. Also, sure, they include schools like Brown, Stanford, and Oberlin, but they also include NYU and Northwestern. Uh, Hannah reveals that she did really well on the SCT. Um, she did kind of good on it. How good, Caleb wants to know. So good that the guidance counselor called her in to see if she cheated. But she didn't cheat. Why is everyone so invested in assuming Hannah is dumb? Caleb looks slightly proud of her for a second. Uh, to which I just say, ugh, to his general demeanor. And also, ugh, to the fact that, like, this again is something we're just, like, it's, it's doing a tell-don't-show. Like, we never yeah. saw Hannah taking the test. We never saw a guidance counselor accuse her of cheating. Uh, we've never heard about any of this before until this very moment. Like, when did she take the test? Was it during her, like, half-season-long drinking binge? <laughs> Was it before that? Like, what's going on? Was it during well, the perfect storm? Did they <laughs> take any test that day? <laughs> right. Well, also because, like, this isn't even going to matter. Like, Hannah goes to fashion school. It's not like this is gearing up for an arc of, like, Hannah ends up, like, going to Yale and becoming a lawyer. Not that that's the only, you know, way to way to show smarts or anything. But, like, it's such a strange – it almost feels – to me, there's something that almost feels a little condescending to the character of Hannah about this. Because it's kind of like, oh, like, we Hannah's sort of the punching bag for being kind of the, the dumb one. But – oh, she's actually a super genius, but it's actually not really going to matter and we're just going to tell you about it. Like, Well, who, like, I think that it's interesting because we both understand that Hannah is a lot smarter than people think that she is. And yeah. people, like, people who recognize that on the show, Spencer Hastings, 100% all of the time. Spencer never thinks that Hannah is stupider than she is. Like, Spencer Spencer respects Hannah's intelligence. Holbrook knows that Hannah is a lot mm -hmm. smarter than she seems. Mm -hmm. Allison knows that Hannah is a lot smarter than she seems. Mona knows that Hannah is a lot smarter than she seems. Person not on that list? Caleb fucking Rivers. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, there is definitely this vibe of like, aww. Like this, yeah, the, Caleb feels condescending and the show feels kind of condescending in how it's dealing with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So that, all right. <laughs> there's so much, I feel like there's so much quick back and forth here. So Allie is uh, talking with Emily saying that if Emily is to, you know, revive their friendship, um, her, the other liars won't like that. And, Emily says, you know, that that she doesn't care what people think and then makes a classic rookie slash Emily move by leaving her phone behind when Allison says that she likes some tea. Um, when she spins back around, Allison is just reading the phone, uh, throwing out a great comment about how the fact that Pam never shops at the last minute. So uh, this it, it, Emily wouldn't have been texting her. I'm a right. Allison says. I don't know. Are you? Emily replies. 
Um, Allie really seems so menacing here. She says that she actually believed Emily. It must have hurt when the loyal one betrayed you, Emily says. Um, but Allison clearly wants the last word because before she leaves the room, she spins back around to say that that was quite the performance. Oh, my goodness. Um, I like the sort of like wife off here. We had uh, Emily knowing about Hannah's grandma's cranberry salad thing. And here we have Allison knowing that Pam Fields always has her Thanksgiving shopping done by Halloween. You know, like they're, yeah. they're just like going in on all the intimate details of each other's family lives that they know. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. Uh, and I also, uh, I love the way that once it's, like, declared, like, once they're open adversaries, I feel like their dynamic becomes very much hate flirting. And that's, like, really culminated with the shoulder that Allison throws as she's walking past Emily on her way out. For sure. And, you know, it's interesting because I feel like this is probably one of if not the last scenes between the two of them that has any degree of passion to it yeah um, oh, I because that. once allison is basically exonerated like their relationship is just so flat and allison is like officially in you know milk toast house frown mode <laughs> i do think that the the, sh- the shoulder uh the shoulder contact where Am- uh, you know Allie's kind of like walking by her doing like a field hockey check almost um, there's like more passion in that than there was in any of the Paley stuff in this episode. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I, I thought you were going to say more passion in that than any of the Emerson kisses that we get in season seven, which I mean, that's, yeah. that's not wrong. There's yeah. more passion in this than in the ankle brushing, uh, that is like the, the big yeah. sex scene between them for sure. For sure. For sure. Uh, so, um, outside, Paige is pulling up with some soup to deliver to her allegedly ill lady friend. Um, do you think that Paige just had this soup sitting around her house? Do you think she like, you know, like just sped out and picked it up from a nearby eatery in order to get it over to Emily's so quickly? I feel like she probably like had some homemade bone broth in the back of her fridge and just like <laughs> threw together this soup in a pot like real fast. <laughs> Uh, so Paige is pulling up with some soup to deliver to Emily, but she catches sight of Cindy and Mindy, uh, you know, the new minions, lurking outside in a Volkswagen. Like, they're out there in a punch buggy. I really don't know why that is a thing, but it, it is. It definitely draws the eye. Uh, <laughs> then Allison emerges from Emily's house, and she hops in the driver's seat. Is this Allison's car? Did she rent a Volkswagen for whatever mission they're on? Or is it Cindy and Mindy's car? They just like to let her drive. Oh, whatever. Um, she hops in the driver's seat. Paige gets back into her car and follows them. And I really have to say, what a sign of growth from Paige that this didn't just turn into, like, she goes into Emily's house. They have the same fight that they always have uh, a million times, like, Instead, this changes, and Paige decides to just kind of, like, give chase and find out what the mission is. This could be Paige trusting Emily more, like, CF what happens when Paige has less at stake, because she knows that she's leaving. Um, 
But also the weird thing about this is that we see Paige doing this mission, but then Paige doesn't follow up on it. Like she doesn't call Emily. She doesn't tell Emily anything about it until like the next morning at the brew. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is strange. Also, does Allison know how to drive? I mean, we saw her We saw her drive off in the car from the That's Lost true. Woods. She would have been like 14 or something. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right oh god um yeah this is an interesting scene and it's like i don't know as always it's like the queer characters are sort of on the outskirts of the important heist mission you know well, yes and it's also it's weirdly shot like i'm not sure why they have <laughs> i'm not sure why they have like the the volkswagen beetle like i don't know why they didn't just paint it like herbie or something to make it like that much weirder but so, like, they're in this Volkswagen, and at first, it seems like either Cindy or Mindy is in the driver's seat, but then when Allison is coming back, they, like, sort of just, like, lean back. <laughs> like, it doesn't look like they actually move to the back seat. So I'm not sure if they're, like, laying down and Allison is sitting on them. Are they operating the pedals and Allison is steering? I don't know what is going on here, but... It, it is weird, and I cannot fault Paige for deciding to follow to see what the heck is happening. Well, also, even the way they film Paige watching it is kind of weird. Like, it's like this well, weird kind well, of, like, low-angle shot. Like, she's crouched down. It is strange. It's definitely strange. Uh, meanwhile, Mona and Spencer are digging through the Bethany files, finding a bunch of tape recordings of her sessions. Uh, Spencer tries to sort of play casual as she inquires about Mona's various college acceptances. We learn that Mona's gotten early admission to basically everywhere she applied. She has a whole bunch of choices, while Spencer reveals that she hasn't heard from anywhere. Well, if there's anything I can do, Mona chirps with a smile, and Spencer replies that she's done plenty. Uh, Mona starts packing up the stuff, uh, while Spencer weirdly decides that they need to listen to one of the tapes right now uh bethany is saying that everything she told her was a lie and as they're listening to that tape spencer is looking through a file and they piece together the information that mrs d was having an affair with bethany's father um did allison know bethany i feel like at a certain point in the series the like way to connect characters just became oh jessica de Laurentiis was having an affair with that person <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> yes. Again, some lazy, lazy writing. Um, but I am going to point out that Hannah has called a code red light. There is a cop in the building. Uh, the only thing standing between them and the cop is Aria and her paint spill improvisation. Uh, so that, that might be one indicator to hurry. Also, Spencer is theoretically on a clock because Toby has his cop graduation that she did want to get to. But now yeah. that she and Mona are just, you know, cozy together in the records room, Spencer Hastings certainly doesn't seem to be in any hurry to leave. She's like leisurely reading through the files, having them listen to a tape together, starting up a little small talk about where Mona might go to college. I just think that's interesting to note. That's all. It does seem like if Spencer was more eager to get to this graduation, there are different steps and choices she could be making. <laughs> yes. I also want to note that uh, Mona says that she also got into Brown, uh, but they didn't give her a full ride. So she's not interested. 
I do want to note that Brown was a college that was on Hannah's list that we saw uh, when Caleb pulled it down from the visor. And because this is the amount of work that the props department is putting in at this point, one of Hannah's notations about Brown was mascot brown bear. So (laughs) I think that we can assume that if the brown bear is not Hannah's reason for being interested in going there, that it might have something to do with Mona Vanderwall. (laughs) Oh, props department never change. Um, also, I think Aria winds up graduating from Brown, doesn't she? Because she's in Savannah at one point. Yeah, but then she, I, I think she transfers to Brown. And oh. That's where she gra- but anyway. Interesting. We'll, okay. We'll see, I guess, when we get post-jump. But it seems like that, it seems like they're doing some subliminal, uh, subliminal press for Brown at some point here. Well, an interesting thing is that the show is very uninterested in the college lives of the liars. I feel. <laughs> yes, that that cannot be denied. Yes, yeah, they don't really care about many of the details of who ends up where for how long or any of that. No, no, it's a void. Uh, speaking of voids, uh, <laughs> elsewhere, Toby is leaving the brew in cop uniform and leaving a message for Spencer saying, he can't wait anymore. Call him. He's an authority figure. yes uh mona and spencer have to get past the cops uh who are suddenly descending on radley this seems like it's gonna be like uh you know they're gonna get trapped by them or something but nope they just slip out the back door while aria slips into the back seat uh telling hannah and caleb about holbrook and their conversation yeah this is a scene where it seems like uh, now Hannah and Caleb are the parents and Aria is their fretful child yes. in the backseat as they discuss what was Holbrook doing there, uh, asking questions about Spencer. And then like Mona and Spencer come out via the emergency exit that Caleb has like hacked not go off. And then before Spencer is even done with being gay and doing crimes, she's obligated to like call in to her boyfriend. <laughs> yes. Yes. Check in with, uh, yeah, Mr. Mr. Officer Patriarchy. <laughs> um, so Officer Patriarchy wants to know where she is. He was worried about her. He's driving his pickup and wondering, you know, about her whereabouts. She can't really hear him. He can't really hear her. He's busy looking down at his phone and, you know, kind of kind of doing the whole like, can you hear me now? Uh, when the bright lights of an oncoming car illuminate the driver's side window, should be the rear window, uh, and then we hear a nasty sounding crash, Spencer cries out in distress, Toby! Uh, and this is like, I feel like there is a lot of Spencer and Toby just crying out each other's names in distress for the rest of this episode. So yeah. here we have our first one. Toby! Toby! Uh, Now we have the supremely messy scene where we are at the brew on Thanksgiving Day, uh, which Emily has to work at the brew for some reason. Uh, Everybody is there. Toby is like sitting in a wheelchair with his leg in a cast. Um, Spencer, of course, is blaming herself for all of this. He'll be in the cast for a month or a year or a day. Time means nothing. Uh, Paige marches in just then at an 11, needing to talk to Emily now. She saw Allison leaving with Cindy and Mindy, driving out to an abandoned farm full of people. She's building an army of her own. 
it sounds very zombie-ish. Also, another instance of tell, not show. <laughs> just then Holbrook walks in and just full-on arrests Spencer for the murder of Bethany Young while everybody starts yelling Spencer's name. Spencer starts yelling at everybody as she's called out of the brew. Wow, what a what a busy, packed Thanksgiving morning here at the brew. I was going to make fun of the brew being open on Thanksgiving, like the brew that is not owned by anyone right nope. now. Like it's like the building and the coffee shop are actively for sale. Yet nonetheless, it is open on Thanksgiving and Emily Fields has to work. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> but it's obviously, I mean, obviously they need the brew to be open because where else would people come to act out their Thanksgiving morning dramatics <laughs> exactly yeah they need they need an audience to kind of like get through all of this thanksgiving morning drama but like why is toby even in this scene why couldn't spencer just tell us that he has a broken leg and he's gonna be in a wheelchair for a month like maybe maybe the writers were like we have told and not shown 90 percent of this episode so we can show toby in a cast yeah, he's just kind of sitting there sulkily. And then they like when Spencer is being arrested, they start shouting each other's names. Toby! Spencer! Toby! Like, what what good is any of this doing? Yeah. Also, like, way to just ramp up to the Spencer arrest. Like, it's so they they just have really, really like steered into the skid of that, I feel like, um, in this episode. Yes, was like having no more evidence about anything. No, no, not at all. Oof, this was the scene where I was like, Endless November is really speeding up because this is like a lightning round of exposition and events. <laughs> it is, it is, yes. Very rapidly things are happening. Oh, man. Also, it's like, why do they have the whole Allison's army thing? Like, is that, like, why couldn't they just have Allison has a new group of rando friends? Because that's going to come into play in the next episode. But, like, Allison's army never goes anywhere. No, I think it's very weird. And, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it it's a weird thing for them to set up this whole, like, it's an abandoned farm out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and it's, like, it makes it sound like they're part of some cult or something. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so... Uh, Mona is listening to the Bethany tapes, sorting through the files and making notes. Um, her mom calls to her and Mona goes downstairs. Uh, she gets a text from Hannah about Spencer's arrest. Uh, she helps her mom to pack the car and learns that Leslie, uh, known to us as Leslie Stone, is going to be at Thanksgiving, which was a surprise um, that her mom had been, you know, planning to kind of spring on her. Mona promises that she'll be on the road within an hour. She just has to finish a report that she's working on. After Leona drives off, Mona seems to get a sense that she's being watched. As she heads back in, we see someone in a black hoodie with blonde hair lurking around. Mona goes inside and locks the door, seeming worried. Mm-hmm. Um, Prezra does not want his pie baking to go in vain. So he has brought this pie over to the Montgomery house and they are going to eat it, damn it. Um, Ella is apparently chatting with Veronica. Uh, Prezra, no surprise, has like no empathy to offer to Aria, whose best friend has just been arrested for murder. Uh, Mona, for whatever reason, calls Aria, announcing that Allie knew about the affair and set Bethany up to be murdered. 
um, we sort of it sort of cuts in between where somebody downstairs is picking the lock and opus opening Mona's front door, letting themselves in. Um, this somebody has blonde hair, we see, and the black hoodie. Mona says that she can prove that Allison is A, and Arya announces to Prezra that it's time for them to go to Mona's. Uh, first of all, Prezra being like, I'm not going to let your best friend's arrest cancel the parade that you're going to be throwing me over having baked this pie. Oh my goodness. <gasps> Especially when he's like, oh, she'll make bail. She'll be out in no time. Like, his level of caring about the Spencer thing is so low. Uh, also, Arya is wearing a truly berserk outfit with multicolored flowers on her long skirt and then a maroon and black vertical striped magician's shirt uh, yeah. that she's wearing here. So shout out to um, Arya having a definite That's So Arya look. Um, also, now it seems like it seems like after such a long time of like, who is under the hoodie? We can't tell. It's a faceless person. Now they're really going in on it's a faceless person with blonde hair who we really want you to think is Allison. Because in this situation, uh, A actually like like pulls down the hoodie as they're going up the stairs so that you get like yeah. the scene of like. Blonde hair, don't care, murderously going up the stair uh, to, you know, to, like, go attack Mona. Well, yeah, and it's also, like, it's so obvious that it isn't going to be Allison. Because, like, if it was Allison, they would just show us that it was Allison. (laughs) Oh, so Mona is staring at her own face in the mirror, and she... It's like her turn to do some soap opera dialogue. She says to herself, game over, Allison. I win. Uh, just then, a floorboard creaks, and Mona calls out to see if it's her mom. Uh, at that moment, the black hoodie is in the room. Mona gasps and falls backwards against her dresser. Yes, when the liars let them themselves in oh boy it is a scene there is smashed glass blood smeared on the walls overturned furniture as uh somebody goes upstairs they we cut away and hear a scream oh and then we're back outside where we were at the beginning with the police tape the cops milling around uh, a sad song plays and we see that all the liars sans spencer are hanging around outside uh, Mrs. V is back and she looks wrecked. Um, Paige is there now holding Emily. Uh, and then Allison is lurking out of sight between some of the cars, watching the chaos unfold. Holbrook makes a statement that it's being investigated as a homicide, although they didn't find a body. There is so much blood in the house that they conclude that the wounds must have been fatal. Um, Hannah is breaking down. The liars are all distraught and leaning on their partners. Mrs. V nearly faints against Barry Maple. Uh, Lucas stands around and kind of flaps ineffectually. uh, And Allison walks off looking oddly satisfied. Yes. And then uh, the music continues as over at Emily's, the baby Jesus is being replaced with a Mona doll. Mona's transformation into Vander Jesus is complete. And A puts the Jesus doll in the trunk of a car over top a seemingly dead Mona Vanderwall. Mm. And the camera zooms in really closely on her eye, which is yep. like 
glassy and open uh and she really does i mean she really does seem dead but of course the vander jesus will always rise again of course absolutely absolutely uh and then this is an interesting thing we have that was a tag the first and then we get a tag the second uh which is that a has photoshopped the liars heads into a picture with some mountains uh they then cut out the picture and place it inside a snow globe to let us know that christmas is coming to Rosewood. I love whenever A does arts and crafts. It's really fun. Well, yeah. I mean, and they've had a busy episode. They had to, like, yeah. kidnap and possibly kill Mona. Um, so now they just get to, you know, relax at home uh, and work on their Etsy shop. And don't we learn... So... Don't we learn that, like, most of this was set up by Mona? Um... We learn eventually that Mona was planning to fake her own death here and that all of the blood is because Mona has been like systematically saving her blood uh, in order to like make it seem like she had been killed. Uh, And I I don't really remember what exactly her plan had been, but it, it doesn't go off like it doesn't go according to plan. And now she has been kidnapped by A and is from this point forward in the dollhouse. Right, and so this, this is, like, where Mona, or where Charlotte, like, double-crossed her by putting her in the dollhouse, because that, like, wasn't part of the plan, or something, right? Something, right? right, yes, Some, something of that nature, yeah. yes. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so that is, that is the end of 5A, seemingly the death of Mona, uh, big, big moment here, big moment here, what are your, what are your final thoughts? Oh, I, I just think that, um, I think this episode really galloped along. I think it was, um, you know, like we said, it's it's not perfect, particularly when they are kind of throwing everything uh, at the wall in the brew in the last 10 minutes, um, especially because, like, when you get to the point where there are 10 minutes left in the episode, and it's like, wow, there is a lot of stuff that still has to happen here. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, that they really but- race through. But I think that, I mean, I, I agree. We, we've gotten some really nice moments uh, in the early part of season five where we did get characters have a chance to breathe a little bit and reassess. Uh, and it seems like this is an episode where they just like throw everything into motion again. And it's just kind of like racing headlong into this final shot of Mona possibly being dead. Yeah, it feels like a bit of a reset in a lot of ways. It's like Caleb are back together, Spoby are firmly together, uh, Paley are back together, uh, Allie is like officially like she, it's kind of like we've had a half season of Allie being a liar, and now it's like she's on the outs with the liars again. Um, and, and it really, like it really kind of makes it clear that like the first half of this season there was just so much stuff that didn't really matter. And also like the pacing of all of this was so weird because like, as we talked about, you know, you had like last week's episode that was so much filler. Um, but there's a lot of the stuff in this episode that I feel like could have been spread over the season more like, you know, the cops mounting suspicion of Spencer, like the sort of a, a, a slower turn to, to Allie, you know, of them not trusting her and all of that. But you know, it's, it's, I think it's like we're, they've, they've situated us in an interesting place to kick off season 5A, or 5B, you know, it'll, not that, not that everything is super successful there, but um, they've, they've put some characters in some interesting spots. Well, I think 
that, you know, when we came into season five, we had like that whole turn that the show was doing uh, away from like the Prezra is a stuff and into Allison's return. And it was like, there was a lot of setup that had to be done that felt sort of messy, a little rushed, a little haphazard uh, in order to get us into the, the flow of season five. This episode is a very successful mid-season finale, I think, because it does conclude a lot of what's been going on in this season, mm-hmm. and it does set us up for what's going to happen in 5B. Spencer has been arrested. There's been an actual arrest of one of the liars for murder, a thing that's been like threatening to happen for a long time. Well, here it is. Of course, that's going to get taken back pretty shortly, um, but it leads into then Allie is going to be on trial for murder. It leads into... Um, you know, Hannah is going to be on trial. The other liars are going to be arrested. Like the stakes are rising in terms of the police involvement. Uh, Mona's death also sets up the Hannah as a grieving widow, uh, yeah. which is going to take us uh, take us a long way through season five. Uh, we're already starting to see Spencer and Toby are going to be at odds because he has become a cop. Like she True. can't even get through like the first evening of him graduating from cop school because she's busy committing a crime. Like, so, you know, we're, we're already kind of setting up that dynamic. Um, and I, so I think that, uh, I, I think that it's successful in kind of setting into motion a lot of stuff that's going to become important as we move into the back half of the season. I think that's totally true. And I also think it's sort of st- setting a few new status quos for the rest of the series, like the kind of, um, OTPification, if you will, mm. of the heterosexual romances where it's like they're just being framed as cute and sweet and, you know, like we're not really doing any critical thinking. It's just about getting their smoochies in. And then it's like the degayification with Emily and sort of the lack of effort in Emily's romantic storylines. That's definitely true. From here on out, I feel like we get into an era of like, we're not taking any questions regarding yes. heteroships. Like, yes. like, this is how it is. And even though what we're showing you indicates that it's really bad and dysfunctional, we are not going to be, like, examining that in any way. No, no, it's completely just, like, it's like they're, it's like the shippers are, like, little chickens and they're just throwing chicken feed out at them and, like, closing the door. You know, it's, uh, yeah. And then Emily is the the sad little chicken who doesn't get any scraps of food (laughs) (laughs) no no yeah this is gonna um once Paige leaves in the very next episode it's gonna like enter the the bleak bleak years of emily's love life oh my goodness yeah yeah and i mean yeah it's it is it is really bleak i mean does she have any romances until sabrina Oh yeah! Oh, how are you? Forgetting oh my God, Talia, 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 Talia! And how oh, how oh. are you forgetting Sarah Harvey? Oh right! <laughs> I'm thinking of. I mean, they're obviously so memorable. You know what? I was mixing. I was. I meant when I said Sabrina. I meant Talia. She doesn't have anybody before Talia. No, no, she was Talia and then Sarah Harvey. Okay. Oh Lord. Okay. Oh. Oh, and then um. Uh, also, uh, another Habitat person shows up, but then they become interested in Prezra. Oh, right, right. British Nicole. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then she, like, returns later 
traumatized after their mm-hmm. black box theater. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh man. Of all of the characters that become weirdly kind of important, she is like the most shocking one. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, also, I feel like, um, we spent a lot of season five with like, what's going on with Sydney? She's yeah. so weird. What is she doing? Uh, and and now as we're like at the at the big kind of climax of season five a, uh, she's just disappeared. Like we haven't even yeah. really, we haven't even seen her in this episode. Same with Jenna. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Jenna, who has like been kind of a you know major player this half season, totally gone. Yeah. Yeah. And not same even, with Cyrus. Not even a blip. Not even a blip. Or no, no mention of Cyrus here. No, 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 no. Um, do we have more that we want to say about this particular episode? If we do, we're taking it to the grave. <laughs> um, so we are. The next chronological episode is, in fact, how the Astel Christmas. But we already recorded uh, and a recap of that episode. Gosh, what like last Christmas? Not the Christmas we just had, but the Christmas before. Yeah. 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 Like Christmas 2019, I think. Um, so if you want to listen to that, you can uh, go into our back catalog and and do a, a listen to How the A Stole Christmas. Um, but since it is Christmas time in Rosewood, uh, we are going to keep the Christmas cheer going by uh, doing a little talk about the movie Happiest Season, which we were planning to talk about over the holidays and then other stuff got in the way. So we are going to do a little uh, springtime uh, conversation about the highly controversial, I would say, <laughs> uh, uh, lesbian film Happiest Season. I can't wait. Yeah, I, I feel like that'll be a, that'll be an interesting, interesting discussion. Um, yes. And then the next chronological episode of the of the series is through a glass darkly. But we'll have a little bit more bonus content before we get there. Um, so if you have thoughts on this half season uh, or on what's to come in the next half season, you can, of course, send us an email at everybody, a podcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at Everybody A Podcast or send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um, we will be back next week for a, a trip to another strange little small town. <laughs> so it's so true. it's true. Happy Pride. <laughs> yes. Take care.